Welcome to the When I Grow Up podcast with me, Katie Philo. Each episode, I interview a guest about the trials, tribulations and joys of growing up. My guest this episode is writer and speaker, Emma Rosen. A high achiever academically, Emma progressed through school and university with the necessary grades and experience to land her dream role on the civil services prestigious grad scheme. Within two weeks, she knew it wasn't for her. After a year, something had to change. So she wrote a list of all the jobs she dreamed of doing growing up. Just before her 24th birthday, she quit her job to embark on what she called a radical sabbatical. Her aim, to try these 25 careers before she turned 25, through shadowing, work experience, and just giving things a go. From archeology span in Transylvania, tour guiding amid violent protests in Venezuela, to being an extra in a major movie, Emma gained invaluable insight into both herself and the modern workplace. Emma now works as a writer and speaker, focusing on millennials in the workforce. She specialises in promoting portfolio careers and alternative ways of working, advocating for more diverse careers education for young people, with a far greater emphasis on work experience. Emma Rosen, welcome to the When I Grow Up podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really pleased to have you here. You're a girl after my own heart because you might be the only person I've met who's maybe had more jobs than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely something I can relate to. There's not many people that have had quite quite as many uh, diverse work experiences as, as I have, I guess. <laughs> and I love the fact that you call it a badge of honour because I'm with you on that one as well. <laughs> we have to make this okay. Exactly. I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of at all. I think, I think having yeah, a wide range of influences is something to be celebrated. Exactly. So to begin, I want to find out a little bit about a younger Emma. What was she like and what did she want to be when she grew up? Oh, she had absolutely no idea what she wanted to be. <laughs> uh, no, I wanted to be everything and nothing all at the same time. Um, I, I always wanted to write, though. It was one thing that kind of um, was consistent. I, want, I always dreamed of being an author as a small child. Um, so, yeah, I have a book coming out now, which is kind of a dream come true um, from a very young age. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really didn't have any firm fixed ideas at all. And the ideas that I did have were the ideas that sort of inspired what led to um, the 25 Before 25 project. It was really literally taking the ideas of the dreams that you have in childhood and actually going out and actively testing them um, rather than making them just sort of be childhood dreams. So, yeah, I, I liked the idea of being an archaeologist, for example, or a farmer or yeah, a writer. Um, those sorts of things definitely featured uh, in childhood <laughs> that's the kind of amazing thing about childhood though isn't it is that you don't really have an idea of what's realistic and what isn't so you could just wildly dream yeah exactly yeah I had absolutely no idea what any of those things were actually like or if I wanted to do them they just sounded great or I'd seen them on tv or I'd read about them or whatever it was where those influences had come from but I don't think I ever sat down and wanted to do a more traditional profession it never occurred to me to want to be a lawyer or a doctor or anything like that it just was never never on my on the cards for me yeah both my parents were um, accountants and so very traditional sort of city type jobs and as was most of my friends parents as well and so I, I don't know why but instead of making me want to follow in their footsteps it made me want to do the total opposite and completely <laughs> rebel against it all so um yeah <laughs> When it came to starting to try and refine all these different ideas about what you could do, the education system does start requesting that you do start thinking about this stuff. What did yes. you? What kind of advice did you receive at school, and then how did you start refining all, all these ideas? Um, I think the advice at school is fairly narrow in scope. You could say 
Um, it was very much you were introduced to the sorts of professions that were seen as good professions. And it was always professions rather than vocational type jobs as well. Um, it was a very kind of, yeah, focused idea of this is what the parents of uh, the children at the school want, want their children to be doing. So these are the careers that we're going to show them. Um, and and just, there wasn't much diversity in terms of careers. Um, and there was very little emphasis on learning by doing. It was all about, or here's, here's a sort of 500-page dusty careers book sitting in the library. There you go. Off, no, just go read that. You'll figure it out, which obviously didn't really help at all. Kind of, I remember going through one of those big yeah, career guides and putting a little X by all the careers I was interested in. And there were so many that I had a slight interest in, but I had no real way of actually learn properly learning about any of them beyond kind of what you can put into five bullet points um and I didn't know anybody that did any of them either so I, I had no real way to access that that information and, and yes you can read stuff online although when I was sort of I guess a young teenager you didn't really even do that not at that time at least um even if yeah towards sixth form and stuff you did uh, but yeah I think it was more a, a lack of access to opportunities and a lack of creative thinking around careers uh, and there were certainly no future facing ideas in terms of careers um, education as well there was no kind of thinking about okay what will the jobs market look like in 10 20 30 years time and if you're a 17 year old and trying to think about about your career actually right now that that really matters thinking about what automation will do to certain industries what skills are going to be really important over the coming decades that those, those are crucial questions to be asking yourself and that that didn't even that didn't even cross anybody's mind I don't think when when I was at school so yeah so like one of the industries I was thinking about that a little later on was journalism and I went to you know spoke to tons of journalists about their jobs and every single every single one without exception turned around and said not sure I would do it you know um then they started talking about how sports journalism for example is increasingly automated um how the young people don't pay for news anymore and so funding for journalism is is just dropping and dropping and, and there was a lot of hesitation there there was a, like a lot I did two um journalism placements at the Telegraph there was two or three journalists just in the few weeks I was there that were like no I'm out I'm going to work in corporate communications or in PR or in industries that there's still still money to put it quite quite frankly so yeah thinking about those things in school definitely didn't cross my mind at all um, it didn't occur to me so I kind of just carried on doing the subjects that I enjoyed and I was quite lucky in that they were quite academic subjects so it kept doors open and it was a mix of arts and sciences as well yeah just to keep that broad like you said interest open because it feels like the career consultants or you know guidance people I mean they probably don't have enough guidance themselves but it's just I just remember having about a fifteen minute appointment, and it's just like, oh, yeah. this is this is how you do this, and this is how you do this, and you probably be good at this. And you know, I think it just completely reduces a really complex situation into like literally a form or something. And and it's also like you were saying about journalism. I I remember that being something I was really interested in. And every single mm. person I met had a different route or path into the industry itself. And yeah. It's it's just like yeah to try and reduce pathways or careers into these kind of really rigid boxes is is a terrible mm. idea and especially when you're sixteen and you have you barely know yourself like you're still a child it's just yeah it, it is crazy but I think I'm similar to you in that I was quite academic so I think at that time sometimes the focus then just skews onto academia and yeah. like you said just kind of fueling your interests in in studies so is is that kind of where your 
path really did start is that how you started forging your path in a way you you just focused on doing well at school getting good grades and forging your way through the academic system as opposed to thinking too carefully about what you wanted to do after yeah exactly I could because I had absolutely no idea I decided I'll just I'll, I'll just push back that decision until I absolutely have to make it <laughs> and just focus on doing as well as I possibly can now just focus on getting to the next step doing the right thing getting myself to the best possible position because even though I didn't know what I wanted to do I was still really ambitious I knew that whatever I was I ended up doing I knew I wanted to do as well as I could at it so I kind of just figured get the best grades you can and the rest will work itself out but back to your point quickly on careers education I think that was yeah really really pertinent because a part of what our careers education was was filling out these kind of tick box personality forms and then it would spit out spit out an answer that was computer generated for you that just was always so so like fantastically inaccurate <laughs> I just just made no sense I remember the, the best one that I got was um dental nurse which would have been fine other than um I I'm not afraid of many things but I have the worst phobia of dentists you can imagine <laughs> I mean like like so people wrong. like people are like spiders like I'm like that with a dentist and they're like that is a perfect career for you I was like oh no <laughs> god it's quite terrifying because I think it takes the kind of emphasis off the individual to help shape mm. your future or decide and understand yourself and what you want and just puts it onto something else it's like oh I, I can't make a decision so I'll put onto that that's one thing but then it's also just that an example in itself is reflective of how inaccurate and how you should not be trusting it's like a variety of things there's no one fixed formula to help you even make these decisions like I feel the careers guidance or departments in schools should just form part of that wider education that really should be done by you absolutely absolutely I think that's why my emphasis now is so heavily on learning by doing and learning through work experience even if it's like a couple of days because the only way you can really get a proper idea of what is involved is by going out and trying it for yourself and seeing what you think of it. I just I just don't see any other serious solution, a serious long term solution to, to the problem. You can talk about it and talk about it and narrow down and create and create a list. But until you actually go out and done them, how, how do you really know what, what's involved? Yeah, exactly. And as you said, when you were talking about journalism, everybody you speak to has a different pathway and a different perspective. So and there's only so much you can talk about it, I think, when you're trying to figure these things out. Yeah, and plan for it as well. Like, you just have to be yeah. open to be able to move into things that you didn't forecast or plan in, in that kind of, like, really strict way. Absolutely. So when I did the 25 different jobs, I interviewed someone in, I think, pretty much every single one. And oh, at least 80% of them said, I kind of asked how they got there, and they would say, Oh, it's a funny story, you know. I'd never thought I ended up here. It was by total chance. And nearly every single person said that. And, so and if you're trying to figure out what you want to do, like in some ways, it, it makes for plenty of interesting stories, but it gives you very few, yeah, clear pathways of ideas of how to break into certain industries because everybody seems to end up where they are by by chance. It's like following their nose, <laughs> isn't it? Like you just have to follow yeah. sense and and ideas, but ultimately I think just remaining really open-minded and willing is probably mm. just the best thing that you could possibly do. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely an instinctive and intuitive element to it, like going with your gut a little bit. Mm. Um, and I, I kind of think you should, uh, to, to an extent at least, def- definitely listen to that. 
So you did very well academically and you went to study history and international relations at the University of Exeter. I, I studied history too and I always kind of say it was just, I just indulged my interests really and the fact that it was academic. Like what, what was your motivation? It was, so it was my strongest subject at A-level um, and, and I was genuinely really interested in it, I guess, in the same way as it sounds like you were too. Um, I kind of made the decision that if, if it was a subject that I thought I would get out of bed at 9am hungover on a Tuesday <laughs> to go to the lecture, then that's probably a good place to start. And I knew it would give me a good foundation in terms of the skill set, uh, writing and research. And I knew those were things that I both enjoyed and was good at. So I kind of assumed that at some point a job that I did would involve those skills. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that was kind of the extent of my thinking on it, to be <laughs> honest. I chose a very flexible degree program at Exeter, which is why I specifically went to Exeter. It's called a Flexible Combined Honours. And you basically didn't, you didn't have a degree title until you graduated. So you could choose modules in any subjects that you wanted and then you figure out what the degree title is later mine ended up being history and international relations but I also minored in archaeology and anthropology and did little other modules here and there and other bits and pieces that I was really interested in so it was a really it was always it was always kind of like a liberal arts type program before there was a liberal arts program Um, and it just let you follow your interests and your passions and find the connections between things And so I ended up studying everything from paleontology right through history all the way up until the present day through international relations and literally just touching on little bits of everything and getting a much broader picture of. of, Yeah. So for me, it was just an interest in, in, I guess, humanity and and the planet and things like that. So, yes, that's so interesting how your degree was a very similar kind of structure to now how you live your life in your career, like the fact that you knew that being exploratory was important to you and again like when you choose degrees often they are already prescribed for you aren't they and you Mm. do have a very narrow frame of reference and you become an expert in something very specific Uh, but that's incredible that you had the opportunity it sounds very much like an American university in the way that you're very broad in your interests yeah yeah so so like I said I think it's they've now turned it into a liberal arts program more similar to the US model but at the time that wasn't the thing so I started thinking in 2010 so a few years ago now and so, yeah, they just they just came up with this program kind of in isolation. And I, I remember seeing it advertised. I was like, that, that's exactly what I need to do. And as you were progressing through and you knew you were coming towards the end of this degree, what started going through your mind as to life post-university and what on earth you were going to do? Were you starting to feel pressured? Yeah, very much so. I found from speaking to kind of older friends, it, it all felt very formulaic. You needed at least a two-one. You needed an extracurricular activity, and you needed an internship. And the combination of those three things would get you a job. Um, and that's pretty much how it seemed to work. As long as you could, you know, string a sentence together and be, a, you know, a normal person, it, it did seem like you needed to tick these set boxes. And so I kind of very much set about going away to tick those boxes, knowing that that was what I needed. And so joining X number of societies, doing X number of internships. But as I started going with the internships that was what led to doing international relations was kind of seeing I got an internship with uh, an MP and then I went to do some journalism as well and yeah it was kind of seeing history but in in present form um, for lack of a better um, explanation so yeah that kind of exposed me to that world and then I started to research jobs in international relations and or working for government and found out about the civil service grad scheme it's called the fast stream and that's kind of what I set my eyes on, really. 
And that's a really competitive graduate scheme in itself. I, th- I feel like for someone who has done incredibly well academically, like, because academia does provide structure and it gives you, like yeah. you said, those constant goals and then you get a kind of a grade or a, a, a reward for your performance. And I guess having a grad scheme and I, th- I think that is what is the point of the biggest appeals is if you can get on one of the most competitive, it's the next stamp of approval for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. It was kind of saying you've ticked all the boxes and now you've got to the next stage where you can go and tick some more boxes because that's all you'd ever really had any experience of growing up was just ticking these boxes um, through school and university. So so you, you got onto the grad scheme, which was an incredible achievement in itself, and you must have been absolutely elated by that. How did you find the experience and how quickly did you realise that it wasn't suited to you? Um, I think I realised probably within about two weeks that it it wasn't. It was quite quite quick, yeah. So I think, so the reason I joined the Fast Stream was because I knew that whatever I wanted to do in some way, I wanted to be making a difference. Um, And that left me into the public sector, which obviously that is kind of front and centre. And I think I... It wasn't so much the civil service that, that was the issue. Um, it was more being on a graduate scheme and kind of having that control removed from you. Um, I guess I'd spent four years previously working on a degree programme where I chose exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and I was constantly following my interests, my passions. I was constantly playing to my strengths. Uh, and the way this um, grad scheme, and this might be different now because obviously it was a few years ago now, is that you would kind of try to build up your weaknesses rather than focus on your strengths which kind of does make sense. But for me, uh, I'm one of those people that is really good at a small number of things and absolutely dreadful at everything else. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, I like, so for me, numbers are just, I just can't do them, cannot do them. And so I was put into um, a lot of roles that I didn't have much choice over that were focusing on the things that I was just shocking at. So for me, it meant that kind of every day I was failing. Every day my confidence took another lock because I couldn't do something well enough because I wasn't, I just couldn't figure something out. And I just, every single day was a struggle. It was, every day was like being in year nine and doing maths. Oh and, God, nightmare. <laughs> well, for, for me it was, yeah. yeah. And some people absolutely thrive in that environment. But what it showed to me was that whilst I might be, have a really broad range of interests, the skills that I want to be using to pursue those interests is actually quite narrow, which is something I'd never considered before. And then the other side to it was working environment, which was also something I'd never considered before. Um, And it was something that was never highlighted to me as something that you should think about when going through the education system and careers education, was was just the impact that your working environment could have on your job satisfaction. And so for me, and again, this is personal, I just couldn't get on with waking up and going in the dark, on a, getting on the train, um, I'm quite short, so my nose is always in somebody else's armpit. Uh, and then sitting down at my desk all day and not moving for nine, ten hours and then coming home in the dark and just being on repeat and just a continuous cycle of that. And for me, it, I just I just couldn't, couldn't get my head around that. And I think it's something that your priorities change throughout your life and at different stages you want different things. And I could totally imagine in my 30s, for example, when I have a young family, that would be exactly what I'd need. But in my 20s, all I wanted to be doing was, you know, really exciting, very different things that were all over the place. And this was just I just felt like I was living a few decades ahead of where I actually was. Did you feel conflicted by the fact that on paper you really had really what you wanted? But then in reality, you just felt incredibly unfulfilled. 
oh hugely so it, it really started to impact my mental health because just the overwhelming feeling of guilt that I got because I was outwardly you know on on the right path really successful my parents were proud of me my friends kind of were proud of me and you know it, it was doing so well I was on a really prestigious grad scheme and I was absolutely hating it <laughs> I mean really hated every single day and I just felt like I didn't deserve to be there and I just had this huge amount of ne- negativity and personal criticism which wasn't helped by the fact that every day I was doing something I was terrible at. What did you decide to do about it? Um, so at first I, I tried to stick it out because I was like, you know, I need to give this a bit longer than a few months. Um, so I was there for a year in total. Um, and towards the end of that year, it just started getting worse and worse and worse in terms of the state of my mind. I ended up sitting down one night in a bit of a state and writing down a list of all the different jobs that I had ever thought about doing before from, yeah, as I said before, the age of like five upwards I'm just writing them down on one sheet of paper um, and I got to 25 which was kind of the initial spark of the idea I, ju- I just turned 24 or was just about to turn 24 and I've been thinking about starting a blog for a little while I've been thinking about writing a travel blog but the more research I did on travel blogs the more I realized that the world probably didn't need another one um, so <laughs> I uh, well yeah, it's true so I, I'd been thinking about what on earth could I do instead and that kind of those two linked together um in my head and kind of thought maybe if I try and do all of these jobs and talk about what career happiness and career fulfillment mean um particularly for young people because the more I've been talking about my experiences with friends the more I'd realized that actually I'm not the only person feeling this way and how funny that was and so I wondered if maybe there was a lot more other people that were sort of in their 20s maybe early 30s that felt this way too so I decided to do yeah 25 careers in a year before my 25th birthday and in, in the immediate term, that meant that you handed in your notice on your 24th birthday. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So I, in the few weeks leading up to that, I kind of created a website, started creating social media profiles and writing kind of a first article. Uh, I started reaching out to a few potential careers, for putting out messages, I don't know, emailing companies and things like that um, to try and see if I could get some work experience placements um, done or set up so I managed to get I think two or three lined up before I handed in my notice and I got them quite easily as well so I was quite encouraged by that because one of my biggest worries was that I'd publish publicly say that this is what I was going to do and then nobody would hire me which would yeah be quite mortifying. What was the reaction like amongst your friends and family? Um, I think my friends were very supportive uh, at least outwardly uh, my family were I think needed needed to be sold the idea a little more um, than they were. Uh, the mix mixed reactions. I think ultimately my parents were quite supportive, mostly because they could see how unhappy I was yeah. um, at work, and they were they kind of just took the opinion of maybe she just needs a few months to figure herself out. And this sounds it's it's kind of a bit more structured of an approach compared to going travelling or something. So they kind of I think. They were just like, just humour her for a little while and see what happens. And I'd, I'd saved up from the year I'd been working. Um, so I did have a little bit of savings put aside as well. Uh, yeah, and this is what then turned into your 25 Before 25 project or what you have called now your radical sabbatical, which I think is such a great name. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you've given me a bit of an insight into what it was all about, but it'd be great to just hear like in a nutshell what you wanted to set out to achieve how you did it and kind of what it it actually was in practice. 
so the idea was obviously partly to figure out what I wanted to do for myself long term but it was also to kind of highlight the need for more diverse careers education for young people to highlight the need for work experience for learning by doing and then over the course of the year as I kind of learned more and developed as a as a writer and met more people um, it became about highlighting the idea of a portfolio career which is something I had never heard of until I started down that path Um, and that's the idea that basically you don't just need to pick one which blew my mind, which sounds ridiculously <laughs> simple, but I had absolutely no idea that that was even an option. So portfolio career is um, several different jobs made up of um, contract work, part-time, freelance, in as many different industries as you want, and finding a way to tie those together. So for example, if you are a doctor and you're doing locum shifts three days a week and two days a week, you are selling, I don't know, jewellery on Etsy, that's a portfolio career. And I know people that do that. So it could be that or it could be working for example as I do now as a freelance writer and speaker and I don't really work for one person in particular I kind of have my own portfolio of work that cross several different careers so those are kind of the goals setting out and I as I kind of pressed publish the post that I wrote and the article that I wrote um, had quite a strong reaction on social media and a lot of people getting in touch that said that they felt very, very similarly and asking for advice. Um, And at that stage, I had no advice to offer. Um, But as sort of the months went on, I I did. So it kind of started to become about very strongly about how how to help others that feel feel this way, because I don't believe that your job should make you feel so miserable that it affects your mental health. I just don't think that's necessary. I just think that there must be another way out of that as a situation particularly if you're of an age before financial commitments like a mortgage or children I mean it shouldn't be at any age but especially when when you don't have sort of major financial commitments keeping you in a certain job yeah and you're and you're still learning and growing as a person and it's just the person that you are in your early 20s is going to be very different to your late 20s and even a decade later and how can what you wanted then be the same as even three years later Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And people ask me all the time, would you ever go back to the civil service? And I'd say, um, you know, it wasn't right for me at that stage of my life. But at a later stage, yes, it might absolutely be the right thing. So it's not it's not about that at all. It's about saying what's right for me now. So, so yes, yeah, so I went about um, trying out lots of different jobs. Uh, so the very first one, uh, I called up the old my old um, archaeology department at my university that I'd done about five modules with uh, in my first year. So I didn't have a strong connection and asked if they needed any help on any digs in, over the coming weeks. And they turned around and said, actually, we really need somebody to fly out to Transylvania in two weeks' time. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, um, okay, sure. And then I like, quickly Googled it to figure out where that was. It's, it's Romania, turns out. <laughs> um, I had no idea. And uh, two weeks later, I, I got on a plane that the flights and the accommodation were sponsored by a grant that the university had and went to work on an excavation for two weeks in Transylvania up in the mountains wow. uh, on a on a Roman palace yeah it kind what of were you doing kept... were you were you just kind of one of a many person team brushing brushing the dirt <laughs> yeah pretty much um yeah pretty much that's exactly what I was doing so the first few days it was more kind of digging pure digging tr- to try and get down deep enough to where kind of the Roman things were and then after that, it was kind of on your knees with a brush and going through really, really gently and carefully and seeing what you can find. Uh, and we found coins and brooches, hairpins. That is incredible. Uh, we, were, 
Well, we were digging over a hypercourse, so kind of like a central heating system. And so loads of things had fallen through the cracks, effectively. And so it was just really, really interesting, like people's personal items. Um, and it, it was awesome. It was kind of, think these are things you'd usually see in a museum. And to yeah. know that you're the first person to touch that for 2,000 years was was spectacular it was so exciting it's an experience that like barely anyone on this planet gets to have you know and like to have that uh, but also I feel like the child like the child within you was probably absolutely like just gorging on this experience oh oh it was it was yeah it it felt like a very romantic experience to be having (laughs) especially as the first one I, I just felt like I was Indiana Jones and who'd won the lottery so that was that was pretty fantastic where did you go after Yes, the next one was equally as good, to be honest. Um, I had a, I wouldn't even say friend, an acquaintance uh, on Facebook that I met on an internship years before. Um, And she now worked as a wedding photographer in Ibiza. So obviously I called her up and said, can I, I know we haven't spoken in five years, but can I come and live with you for a week or two? (laughs) Um, And she said, yeah, sure, why not? And so I bought an EasyJet flight, which was cheaper than my Oyster card for the week in London. So that worked out financially as well <laughs> and yeah went out to stay with her to photograph some weddings um I I quite enjoyed photography I have a really old beaten up SLR camera um, that I could take with me and she taught me kind of the basics of photoshop editing and lightroom and just how how the business worked and what it was like uh, and she just had the most fantastic sounding career so she spent six months of the year in Ibiza over summer charging you know wedding photographer prices and wedding photographers aren't cheap and then spending the other six months of the year using that to fund being a travel photographer and traveling the world it's just opening your mind to existences that you would have no idea were out there when you're trundling along on the tube on the way to work like you said doing that kind of eat sleep work repeat type thing like it's just invaluable to just see it in practice because it makes you believe that actually you can do that too or some kind of semblance of that that's exactly it. I think part of the problem before that was I just didn't know what was really out there. You kind of have broad ideas of, you know, a photographer is a career path, but there's a real detail of what that could look like. You, you just don't know until you meet people that do it. And that happened later on with um, a career I did in international security that was so specific and so niche, but so incredibly interesting that you just you would never have known it existed. So it was working for a consultancy company that uh, worked with government officials and journalists or uh, very senior kind of employees in in companies that worked in hostile war zones or countries that were kind of borderline civil war or places where there had been um, disasters that British nationals were involved in. So what they do is they run fully immersive, week-long crisis simulations uh, in the woods in the home counties set up for, for example, I don't know, a team of journalists or a team of foreign officers officials, for example, uh, and simulate a plane crash with 50 actors playing British nationals with blood coming out of their heads in fake field hospitals. And then in this country, in this fake imaginary country, there was also kind of civil unrest uh, and it was bordering on civil war. And now you need to evacuate all these injured plane crash visitors out of the country. Um, Because these are some of the challenges that, for example, if you worked in a foreign office, you would literally be faced with. And so they train those people in those situations by running fully immersive scenarios for a week in the UK. And so I helped sort of coordinate this mass exercise with literally 100 different actors with fake um, plane crash parts and pyrotechnics and um, fake people with fake guns running around. And it was absolutely mental. It was insane. The whole thing was 
insane. It blows my mind that all this kind of stuff is happening while I'm sat at my desk. It's also just incredibly just amazing to know that there are these, like, like you said, very niche, diverse things going on that you could absolutely be a part of if you wanted to, if you knew they existed. Well, exactly. And it was just, it really highlighted and drew home the point that you don't know what's out there until you go and find it out for yourself. Because obviously, and right, and fairly so, my careers advisor when I was 16 would never have known that existed because how how, how possibly could you? Um, because it's just so niche. But what a wonderful thing to be doing. Yeah. Um, like a bizarre but incredible thing to be doing. And they run these simulations all over the world as well. So, oh. you know, it was it was awesome. It was so, so cool. You also, you're an extra in a movie. Tell me a bit about that one. Oh, yes. So that the movie has just come out, actually, or recently. It's called, uh, it was the um, Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. So it was about Guernsey dreams and um, just after the second world war so i was in um, an american embassy ballroom scene yeah i had to get up at about four in the morning and got to wear this 1940s ball gown and got my hair done and my makeup done i was in makeup for about three hours and then had to dance at this in this ballroom scene sitting right behind the principal actor and the actress and like the actor's parents and got chatting with the actor's parents about what his life's about and just yeah I got a real insight into what what that's like um and I was kind of meant to be you know there with a fake husband and so the guy that I've been partnered with he was a full-time movie extra and that that was what he did or performance artiste as um it was called it was fascinating I had no idea that you could do that and it's fairly well paid and you could do that professionally and so the week before he'd been filming Star Wars and then the week after he was filming some other like random film uh, and just got to play a different character in, in basically most major films that come out over the like, next couple of years. It was just, it was, it was bizarre and incredible to kind of get that diversity um, every day and that variety of, of project to work on. And, and speaking of diversity, there are some other great ones you've called out <laughs> from your list. And one of them was one of my favourites is, is alpaca farming in Cornwall. <laughs> yeah, how, how that was that one compare? of my favourites. Oh, that was one of my favourites too. It was wonderful. <laughs> so I've always quite liked being outdoors. That was one of the things that I, I wanted to feature in quite a few of the placements that I was doing. And I also uh, quite like animals. I considered being a vet for a while, but um, didn't get good enough grades. So I kind of forgot that idea. And so I kind of thought about farming. So I put a tweet out to ask if any farmers happened to need a farmhand. And within 10 minutes, I got this reply from an alpaca farmer in Cornwall who invited me down to come and stay um and again it was one of those such bizarre and random experiences that you can't really say no so this was in I think September and then so we caught her up later that day and kind of really looking forward to it I was like the weather's still lovely we're having an Indian summer she's like no no if you want to be a farmer the only way you're really going to know is if you come in January (laughs) if you like farming in January then you're meant to be a farmer so it was quite quite good logic. I kind of had to agree. And so I went down to Cornwall and saw, saw my phone signal drop increasingly as I got further and further away from London and turned up on a farm. There was a herd of alpacas and a herd of sheep and stayed with the farmer and learned all about what she does. And this was one of the, I think, most surprising careers that I did. because It was one of the ones that showed the point that you you cannot make assumptions about what a career is like until you actually go and see it for yourself 
because in my in my mind I would you know be playing with the lamb all day and shearing the sheep and doing some animal husbandry and feeding and looking after them um, but that was only 50% of her job if not less the other 50% so from lunchtime onwards she ran a business she was an entrepreneur and she had um, plenty of different ways of selling her animals products and so the main one uh, while I was there was she um, sheared her alpacas and got the wool spun into yarn and then got the yarn made into luxury high-end children's clothing and then sold that to Harrods and Selfridges and sort of very 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 nice shops and department stores and she managed the entire process for that everything from literally helping an alpaca give birth to a baby alpaca to negotiating prices with Harrods and if you think about every single step that's involved in that chain and to think one person does that, the a number of skills that you need to do that, the entrepreneurialism that you need, the business skills, is it's incredible. It's insane. And, and but that's what you need to do to be a to be a sustainable farmer in, in you know, twenty eighteen. So I just had no idea. Yeah, it's so interesting that because it feels again, in my mind, like probably similar to yours before you did it. I've just got like a textbook probably open in my mind oh it's just farming all day you're out on the land all day and then you come back and you have dinner and then you do it again and again it's just so insightful to know that actually what seems like a very traditional career has it is non-traditional and that you it's pretty portfolio based and that you're dealing with I guess merchandising and product but then you're also dealing with the actual practical application of farming it's just yeah it's just amazing yeah, well, exactly. And it was just something that I'd have had no idea about. And I'd have only had my textbook idea of what a farmer is like if I hadn't yeah. gone and done it. Um, and, you know, I looking back and I, and I did when I got back, I went and looked um, through that career guide that I had just to see what it was like. And it was just totally it just wasn't relevant to what the reality was like for, for at least this this farmer on, on this alpaca farm in Cornwall. So, yeah, it kind of just went to show. And, and that was something that I found was a definite pattern across all of the different careers um, was just constantly blowing away the assumptions and preconceptions that I had about them. Constantly, constantly doing that. So at the end of the year, did you feel like you had worked out what your next steps were going to be? Or was it purely that you knew it just was knowledge based? Um, I knew that whatever I wanted to be doing, I wanted it to be involving writing and that kind of informed what my next steps were really so I was very lucky in that I a literary agent found me online and kind of approached me and said would you be interested in writing a book and I was like yes that's exactly what I'd be interested (laughs) in doing um so I kind of jumped at that uh, and then signed a contract with her um and then after a few months I got an email through saying she was in her 20s and she was like I've realized I actually don't want to be a literary agent I think I'm going to take a bit of a sabbatical and leave the industry and go figure out what I really want to do (laughs) oh my god no (laughs) of all the people please not you (laughs) (laughs) but you like I totally get it as well (laughs) well exactly that's why I couldn't complain about it she's like oh I understand (laughs) so um so yeah but that kind of provided the impetus to kind of go out and write a book proposal and find a literary agent um that wasn't planning to leave the industry anytime soon and one thing led to another and I got a very lucky to get book deal um and I've now finished writing the book um and it's coming out on the 3rd of January so yeah that's been quite a big chunk of my time um since finishing that's kind of probably taken out a good uh, almost nine months 
full time. Wow. Um, but I've kind of created a portfolio career. So I do project work um, pretty much as it comes up as I find things that I'm interested in. So, for example, um, I worked, I spent two months this summer living and working on a boat for a kind of endurance swimmer who is the UN patron of the oceans. Um, so he swam from Land's End to Dover over two months to kind of highlight the need for marine conservation, plastics in the ocean, things like that. So uh, I worked as a writer on board for him and sort of wrote a, uh, all his social media and wrote uh, a blog for him as a ghostwriter and any sort of press articles that needed doing, as well as kind of campaign strategy. And so I spent yeah, two months doing that this summer and got to meet kind of Prince Charles and Michael Gove. Wow. And incredible. How did you find that job? That's the um, dream. Well, well I, I found it on social media, weirdly enough. Um, which was lucky because it was originally it was advertised as a social media job, so I guess it made sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, no, I belong to quite a few creative networking type uh, Facebook groups that advertise for quite a lot of different jobs in an array of different industries that are more creative focused. And I saw this one pop up, and obviously it was like, I'm gonna have to apply for that. Um, and was lucky enough to get it. So, so yeah, I spent two months doing that this summer. Uh, I've just come back from the Himalayas working with a travel company, a mountaineering travel company. So I'm writing for them. Uh, I'm going to Pakistan next year for a month with a different travel company as a writer for them. I'm also a public speaker now. So I go to schools, uh, universities, businesses, and talk about my experiences, um, how I can advise other young people. Um, but also go into businesses and kind of talk about what it's like to be a millennial in the workforce, how you can, uh, how businesses can adapt to millennials' needs, things like that. And so, yeah, I just ended up doing kind of following what I love. And instead of kind of the one of those 25 becoming the one, I ended up, I guess, turning the 25, 25 into 25. Into, exactly, yeah, exactly, which is not something that I ever thought would be the end result, but have definitely found that you never ever know where a path will lead when you start down it you have no idea and I think to anyone listening I mean especially I just hearing that myself I'm like wow I would like to be doing all of that <laughs> what what <laughs> would you what would you tell to someone who wants to figure out what they really want and how to get it it's all about work experience and work experience does not have to be something that is just for a 14-year-old in year 10. That is something that is very relevant to a 24-year-old or a 34-year-old or beyond. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to quit your job so you can go and try, you know, 25 of them. Because obviously that's a bit of an extreme and a bit of an exaggerated example. What it does mean that you can do is perhaps use a couple of days of your annual leave. Because if you're thinking of quitting your job, you're probably not going to need your annual leave anyway. Uh, or it could be meeting people for coffees over lunch times, or it could be evenings, it could be weekends. It almost think of it as a side gig, as trying trying a little project on the side over a period of six months or even a year if you're kind of you've got time to kill and you don't really, really, really hate your job. Yes, yeah, think about it over a period of months rather than days or weeks and go and try all the things that you have in the back of your mind. Actually go and test your assumptions and your beliefs about what you want or what you might not want. Quite often talking to people that are really unhappy in their jobs I think it's sometimes very difficult to identify what exactly it is about the job that you're in that you don't like it's quite easy to fall into the same traps and the same patterns in a career change in the one that you're moving to because you you kind of too not afraid but I guess you find it too difficult to break out of those kind of expectations perhaps um, and so I think it's really really important to go and try stuff out first 
and to network as well with as many people as possible that you can in the areas that you're interested in to really understand the diversity of opportunity that is available um, and all the different types of jobs. So if you said, I don't know, farming as, as that example, what farming might mean to one person might be completely different to another. And so go and see what is really, really actually out there um, rather than going off those assumptions or glamorizing certain jobs and certain industries, which definitely was the case for me with the civil service, which doesn't sound like it should be that glamorous. But I guess speaking to people that I'd, I'd spoken to, they, they, it sounded very glamorous to me. And maybe because it was the kind of competitive edge to it made it feel that way. I think it, uh, almost, it almost does make sense because when you think about it, when we make career changes or career moves, the main basis we have is the company website, a job yeah. description, maybe a, a couple of people you speak to. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, really, it might look like, like the answer to problems that you're having in your current job. And you might think, oh, this new job description, this looks like the, the antidote to that. But, you know, in reality, you really have to do really what you've been doing, which is it being really exploratory and just dipping into as much as you possibly can to try and make a really informed decision. And I and I guess it's that you could do all this work and then make a decision that you think is really informed and way more aligned with what you want and then discover actually, no, there's still this part which isn't right for me. But then you're still edging a little bit closer or learning more about yourself. And I think that, that feeling that nothing's finite is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that's where the idea of a portfolio career really comes into its own. Because there, there is no such thing as a Prince Charming job. My, my, what I, I do for a living is, <laughs> well, it's true though. It, like what I do is, is wonderful, but I still have bad days. Every, everybody does. Um, but what you want to do is just to have as, as few of them as possible. And so I kind by splitting what I do up over several different areas, I kind of cherry pick the best bits of what I enjoy doing. So when you have a job description, you might love 70% of it, but those 30% of it, you're like, oh God, I've got to do that as well. Um, in whatever that is whereas with what I do I only choose the good bits I only choose the bits that I want to do and I make sure that that's all I do and so if there's one bit that I'm really not liking that at the moment at least two days a week I get to do this other thing that I really really enjoy so I find that that's been really helpful and then I think there's I don't know an analogy that I kind of talk about quite a lot which is comparing careers to dating because there's very very few of us that would marry the first person that we kiss um, as a 16 year old or 15 year old or whatever it is we date lots of different people and there is not that's there's nothing wrong with that at all um but with careers we tend to stick to the first one that we do that's the so first true. piece of work experience or the first internship we do that tends to be our career for you know decades and i think our careers need to be more like how we date and it needs to be seen as socially acceptable and a cultural norm to to date around to try as many as we possibly can and also know that you can't get everything in one person like it's pretty impossible so you and that's why you have friends and family because you may have a friend that you enjoy going to the cinema with but then your boyfriend may hate film and that's the way the portfolio career can kind of come in because one part of that career or your job will serve one interest of yours and then another part will serve another and that's like the modern I feel like that is just the modern way of you know careers and yeah it's reflective of dating as well yeah absolutely absolutely I quite like that as an extension to the analogy (laughs) yeah that works that works really well um but yeah so kind of that's how I've ended up thinking about it and I think there needs to be an almost societal shift in how we view work for that to happen but in the meantime 
um, we can start doing that on our own terms by just going and having a coffee with somebody through networking. Like, as simple as that as a first step. And maybe we can just make it the new kind of achievement, like who can have the most number of jobs instead of getting yeah. the best grades. Let's be like, let, let's make this a competition and you and I can, <laughs> we can start the course. <laughs> well, that's, that's something that I've talked about quite a lot in my book is, is being a wide achiever rather than a high achiever. And that there is nothing wrong with that in kind of days gone past Da Vinci and Galileo, they were polymaths. So basically they they had portfolio careers. They didn't narrow, they didn't focus down on one specific area. They tried lots of different things and used the skills that they gained from all of those across many different subject areas. And they, yeah, it's about being a wide achiever, perhaps, as opposed to a high achiever sometimes. If that's what works for you, then that's okay. And finally, Emma, we're all the way back to where we started. And the question I want to ask you is, what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everything. <laughs> funnily enough, well, no, funnily enough, I want to be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. I, I want to be uh, an author and I want to go away and climb mountains and I want to help other young people through a potentially quite difficult time in their lives. I, I basically want to just keep building on what I've done now and maybe deviate into fiction rather than nonfiction for writing. But yeah, I, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing now, to be honest. And I want to see where this this road will take me. It's very inspiring to someone who um, can relate to you on so many levels to see that in practice it is possible to marry lots of different interests and expressions of yourself into one job because it's something that I think nearly everyone I know struggles with and I really commend you the fact that you're doing it but also trying to help other people understand how they can do it too. So thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been, yeah, it's been really interesting. It's been really nice to talk to somebody that, yeah, kind of is in the same boat. <laughs> and I know that, yeah, all of your story, your words of wisdom, I know that they will really hit a note with lots of people. So thank you. And finally, where can people find you on the internet and get in touch with you? Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. So it's at 25 before 25. Or on my website, you can subscribe to my blog, which is www.25before25.co.uk. Brilliant. And your book comes out in January. Yeah, exactly. So you can you can pre-order it on Amazon now. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'll put all that information in the show notes in case anyone is interested. And I'm really looking forward to reading your book, Emma. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you.